welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Of course, my name is Alex, joined as always by Julio for episode number 70. We are here to visit the mummy. Our poll went out to our faithful, and we got almost 300 votes, so that was cool. So thanks. <laughs> that to- was a cool part. Yes. Thanks to all those that voted. Obviously, my film did not win. I tried to get Freddy versus Jason and the word out there. Did not work. People wanted us to visit our first Brendan Fraser movie. Yeah. I mean, it took us 70 episodes, but we, we finally made it to, to the big leagues. 70 or 69 actual episodes and then a whole slew of bonus episodes, but we are here to visit 1999's The Mummy. Not the most recent Mummy. No, uh, which would have been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, it's a, it's a multiple of 10, which means it's a gray area episode, mm-hmm. uh, which is why The Mummy was eligible. On the gray area episodes, we take movies that are not super high or super low in the tomato meter we go for for the middle ground yeah it looks like this one stands at 57 percent. i mean that is i would say appropriate uh we'll get into our our real feelings and real talk but here for contrarian's corner we actually split just like the tomato meter um last time we did a gray area episode was during the summer of travolta mm-hmm. it was a phenomenon and uh i Defended it while Alex attacked it. Uh, <laughs> this time, we're swapping. So I will be attacking uh, this Brendan Fraser vehicle, and Alex will be defending it. Yes. With his life. Yes. Very much so. Uh, at 57%, it means it's kind of a mixed bag. So, Julio, what were the critics saying? Um, as it is par for the course with these episodes, I'm going to alternate between positive and negative. Starting with Lisa Schwartzbaum from Entertainment Weekly, who says, an aggressively eye-popping horror film. That, if you couldn't tell, is a positive. Mm. Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, Edward Johnson Ott from Nouveau News Weekly says, one more overblown exercise in big-budget lameness. Bob Fenster from Arizona Republic says, spectacle, rowdy adventure, and supernatural horror all crammed into a raucous two hours of high-testosterone special effects filmmaking. And then Jeff Weiss says, from Desert News, one of the more confused productions in recent cinematic history. Ross Anthony from Hollywood Report Card says, a B-movie wrapped in a winding cloth of A special effects. And Desson Thompson from the Washington Post says, a failure in more ways than a mortal would have time to explain. Jeez. Jackie Luhals from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel says, jump back, monster mashers, the mummy mambos. That was on the back of the DVD. 
And Susan Stark from Detroit News says, The mummy fails to reconcile image and tone. Lots of one-liners there. Yes, much like in the film. Uh, the mummy starts off with, we have this whole exposition explaining, you know, what brings us to where we are. We're set in 1926, and several years prior to this, we find uh, our bad guy, our main villain, our flame, our muse of the film, uh, Imhotep, and basically sets up whoever the pharaoh is at the time to kill him, and then his plan is to... Uh, Does he have a plan? Because it feels like he's just winging it. It has something to do with love. I know that much. Because <laughs> he's trying to be reconciled in the afterlife. Or he has a love affair with the Pharaoh's wife and he's going to bring her back. Uh, she has to off herself in the process. But before he can do this, he's taken down by uh, the Pharaoh's bodyguards, the Medhi, the, who basically inhabit the land from henceforward. And they mummify imhotep alive it's fucking sucks they cut his tongue out rip his organs out mummify him alive and they bury him with the flesh-eating beetles um these skin burrowing beetles that play a large part in the movie and taking down our uh they take down one good guy i'll say that uh they this is the opening of the movie is both a terrible really boring history lesson that goes on forever and also at just the worst advertisement for Egyptian tourism. <laughs> it, this movie depicts Egyptian people as just cruel and I don't want to say savages, but, you know, savages. It doesn't do a good job of depicting their um, response, but the, the moral of the story here is that love triumphs as basically that's what they're aiming for. What Imhotep wants is to have his wife for all eternity. Or his mistress, however it was. Someone else's wife. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he loses it all for love as he's buried in a sarcophagus. Far underground that remains under surveillance for at least the next six years. Okay, so, I mean, this is not a smart movie. And even you who like it, you should probably... You, you have to acknowledge it's not a, a smart movie. And he gets super dumb from the beginning because these guys, they get uh, the priest, they capture him, they capture his followers, and they murder his followers, they destroy them. And then to him, yes, they do all these nasty things, they mummify him, but also they give him superpowers. They do. They seal him in this tomb, and now they basically gave themselves the job of protecting this tomb for eternity. Mm -hmm. The moment they look away, somebody might wake up this guy and they've given him powers before this he was just a normal guy but now they've created a monster what kind of punishment is that who are they punishing well in the immortal words of john wayne if they hadn't there wouldn't have been a movie so uh yeah i mean obviously they i think it's the immense hubris of these guys thinking they were so confident he'll never escape that we'll give him superpowers in which he could kill us all if he does escape. Just to keep ourselves interested. Yeah, just to keep it juicy. Just to give us a challenge. This is all located in the mythical city of Hamanaptra. That's like a lost city that uh, there's a map to, but one person knows how to get there. And it's our American thrill seeker, Brennan Fraser, who he we find he learns how to get there. Basically, he's in a battle. It's not explained why he's engaging. He's, in he's killing some Egyptians. Yes. He's firing a gun, and we meet his friend uh, turned bitter rival, Benny, right off the bat, who we know is going to be problems for Brendan Fraser somewhere down the road. 
Um, let's talk about Brandon Fraser for a moment because I think you're overselling him as an action hero and just underselling how much of a knockoff he is of uh, Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford in general. Harrison Ford's hair was never quite that nice. Okay, so he has one original thing going for him. And not even original. He's got the, the Joey Tribbiani hair. I think it's the second time in less than five episodes of this podcast that we've had Joey Tribbiani hair show up uh, in Early the movie. Early season Joey Tribbiani. Yeah, with the, with the bangs, the side bangs. Yes. But literally, every other move Brendan Fraser does in this movie is just stolen from a Harrison Ford action sequence. <laughs> Whether it's Star Wars, mostly Indiana Jones, a few uh, clear and present danger moves maybe, but... Overall, there is nothing that he brings to the table other than, hey, I'm not Harrison Ford. What are you going to do? Aggressiveness. He's, he's aggressive, and uh, he, we don't know why he's there. That's, like, to begin with, it's never explained why he's there, so there's that shroud That's true. of mystery. Uh, well, at least Indy had a reason to, to get into adventures. He's an archaeologist. What's the point? Uh, Rick O'Connell's his name. Rick's backstory is open. To the viewer's interpretation. Oh, so you can project yourself? I could be Rick O'Connell. Exactly. I could go to Egypt and murder some people. Well, more importantly, you could fall in love with Rachel Weiss, who... Uh... I can do that without being Rick O'Connell. <laughs> Evelyn Carnahan. Uh, we have... It's not even a meet-cute. Well, for the audience, it is. Uh, it's her. She's kind of just this lovable doofus that we meet right off. Uh, her character causes this big ruckus in the library that she works in basically knocks all the shelves down in a domino like fashion she is the sexy librarian it's such a blatant attempt to capture a viewer's attention you know it's like no matter what is going on uh, in the movie no matter how nonsensical it gets they will fall back on rachel wise dressed super cute with the glasses and just acting all daffy and then you just fall in love yeah it's it's it, whatever it's, a, it's it's a cheap trick it is. It's uh, junk food for the eyes and the audience. It's very easy to ingest. She is. Uh, she has an interest in Egyptian studies. I couldn't quite pick up what her uh, tie to that was, but her brother, Jonathan, has located uh, one of the keys to the sarcophagus or a box that has a map to uh, Hemenoptera. He stole this from Rick, so this is how it ties it all together. I wish we could have seen that scene. Why could, Why didn't we see what's potentially the most interesting, most intriguing moment in this whole story? Which is, how did this squalid little British guy manage to dominate Brandon Fraser? Who, I, even as an indie knockoff, I mean, he, he would have that guy for breakfast. Yeah, I don't think it was a physical altercation, because that would go one way. I think he just kind of snuck in the back door. Uh, that's in the Criterion cut, though. So she, they go to show the, the curator of the museum or the library that they work in this map, and he just fucks it up. He, like, ruins it somehow uh, because there wouldn't be a movie otherwise. They would just go and get what they want. He he accidentally examines the map really close to a candle, and then it burns. They're like, oops. It was 1926. I don't think we had still comprehended the... That fire the, burns paper? The, the vast-reaching possibilities of fire. <laughs> So that in mind, she needs to go find this Rick O'Connell who he's like in full uh, Encino man mode here. He's got the long hair, five o'clock shadow. He's being held captive for firing on, you know, the natives or what have you. from For killing Egyptians. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. But she's able to finagle a, a deal that gets him out of execution. I mean, he's hanging. 
uh, and I read the behind the scenes like he actually almost died with that scene. So method acting, gotta appreciate it. She somehow, what's the deal that whatever they find in Hemanoptera, uh, uh, the the natives get twenty five percent, thirty percent, something like that. Oh yeah, she cuts a deal with uh, the Egyptian version of uh, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> That's a, that's a very apt comparison. Um, but she succeeds in getting Rick free. So off they go. They're on like a fucking booze cruise party boat <laughs> to wherever they're going. Uh, and the descendants of Imhotep. Yeah. Oh, it is Imhotep. The descendants swarm the boat and they're trying to get the fucking map and the box because they obviously don't want anyone else to get access to him. They just want to free him and unleash him upon society okay so you know what would be easier than than attacking this this booze cruise and killing everybody and and just why don't they just have a nice talk where they explain what they did and i mean rachel wise will believe it she's practical yeah no and she's she's well read about all this stuff she knows you know uh i mean brendan fraser will probably kill them try to shoot them so first get rid of fraser but they explain it to everybody else uh I mean, I understand it's kind of a, a difficult task because uh, this movie, uh, continuing its really despicable stereotyping of uh, other cultures, they just they have a whole bunch of Americans on the boat, and they're just basically cowboys. Yes, with their hats and their guns and their hooting and hollering. Yeah, so there's obviously there's no talking, there's no reasoning uh, with these guys. No. But they could talk to Rachel Weisz. I mean, the guy gets to Rachel Weisz first. She's the first target. And instead of, of having a rational conversation, he just puts a knife to her throat. Yeah, but sometimes not everyone's just a snowflake liberal. You know, it's there's got to be a bad guy and there's got to be a good guy. And in this case, the bad guys want what they want by any means necessary. And, and the Americans will shoot them before they get it. Yeah. I mean, there's just an unlimited cachet of ammunition in this movie and weaponry. God bless. Uh, but we do get action star Brendan Fraser kicking in the door and just unloading. Uh, I think he's dueling pistols. Uh, he has like five, six different like sets of pistols. He runs out of ammo and then he pulls new ones. It's like, the rare Goldeneye mode where you get two handguns. <laughs> uh, but he's like, because he's a knockoff uh, version of, of action heroes, he wouldn't be like Pierce Brosnan in Goldeneye. He would be like his stunt double or something. Roger Moore. Yeah, they have to abandon ship because it's burning down. He discovers Benny. Uh, to my disappointment, he doesn't just kill Benny there when he has the chance because he knows he's going to create more harm later down the road. And boy, does he. Uh, they get to land finally. They buy some camels. But at this point, he's just got like a Floyd Mayweather-esque entourage. There's just like 40 people following him around. Right, because the Americans... shows the power of Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Back then? His, in, in oh, the... still. Late nineties. Well, now Brandon he's Fraser. just a part of Floyd Mayweather's entourage. When they, when they, <laughs> when Brandon Fraser conned us for a couple of years into believing that he was a major action star. Man, boy, did he! His filmography. I think he made like fucking eight thousand movies in the nineties alone. I was reading over that. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't know, I don't know what it says about, about the filmmaker. You know, I don't know if this was intentional, but the way it reads is because Rachel Weisz and her brother, uh, is played by Jonathan, John Hanna, yeah. Jonathan, uh, they're British. And for all their flaws, you know, because they're, they're kind of like ditzy, both of them, they're kind of like clumsy, but they are the smartest people in that group. And that's a lot of people in that group. Oh, yeah. Right. But they're, they're I mean, the competition is not hard, but what this movie is showing you is the British people, 
they might be kind of quirky and, and ditzy, but they're also you know smart and resourceful and they know what's up. Whereas like the Americans, including Brandon Fraser, they're just like a blunt, dumb force. They just they solve everything by shooting and punching and just screaming and making noises. Well, this movie doesn't try to make Brendan Fraser anything that he isn't. <laughs> that's yeah, that he isn't, or is that is unadvertised. He's just an American thrill seeker. He's just there for adventure. Uh, he's a simple, simple hero we have in this film, and they don't try to make him anything else or anything different. Didn't you think it was really weird that it takes him like that entire voyage in the booze cruise? Uh, including, you know, how it all goes up in flames and whatever. It's not until the next day when Rachel Wise changes into more, I guess, Egyptian clothing or whatever. And then when he sees her and goes like, oh. The cultural appropriation. Yeah, that's when that's what made her sexy to him. Yeah, that was kind of a weird reveal. I didn't quite understand that. I mean, she was hot from the beginning. Yeah, Rachel Weiss is always beautiful. So, I don't know. Maybe it was just the lack of gunsmoke. Uh, gunfire in the air that was able to clear his brain there's an opposing digging crew that's there for the same treasure they're like together but not together they follow around brendan fraser and his crew but they're basically competing well it's americans from the boat right yeah because uh With not chris hemsworth <laughs> not chris hemsworth not carrie elves not john ham uh, mm. i mean talk about is Brendan Fraser is not the only knockoff in this movie. There's, I mean, even Imhotep looks kind of like a weird Egyptian version of Ben Kingsley. I can't like super Billy buff. Zane. That too. Yeah. I just didn't want to like bring Billy Zane into this. He deserves better. <laughs> Billy Zane should be brought into every film discussion. <laughs> uh, but they finally get to the land of Hamanoptera, uh, and the Medi or Medjai. There's a lot of uh, foreign pronunciation in this movie, so. Do forgive me if I'm fucking it up. Listen, if they're not offended by the movie itself, I think that they'll they'll be okay with you mispronouncing a couple of things. Essentially, the uh, villagers, the locals, those that are in the know, tell them, fuck off. We don't want you here. Don't go digging. You have one day to leave. Because you got to put a time limit on anything. <laughs> That's what makes an action movie good. There's the suspense. you got a time frame. I mean, you could also just sit down with them and explain. You're like, okay, sorry about the boat, but... Now that we're we're all together here, uh, right next to the sarcophagus that could unleash the end of the world, how about we uh, we go through the checklist of the things that you shouldn't do? Well, it's not their position to play God and tell them where they should and shouldn't go. So the digging begins, the excursion, the excavating begins, and we have these fucking blue beetles that are back. Uh, these are like the perennial bad guy of this whole film franchise. <laughs> There's these skin burrowing beetles and Paul G- uh, Egyptian Paul Giamatti is the first to taste their wrath. I guess they just go in your skin and go for your brain. I mean, but they take the, the scenic route because you see them. You yes. know, like they remain skin deep. You see the, the, the little bulge moving through your body. And then, you know, I guess at some point they do disappear into your brain. But I would freeze in terror, so I, I wouldn't know what to do. Egyptian Paul Giamatti, he still manages to run. So it's not like they're like actively eating your brain because then he'd be dead in like seconds, right? Instead, he's just screaming and running around. I don't know. There's people that are heroin addicts for like fucking 20 years. So. <laughs> Shooting beetles into their veins. Jesus. <laughs> Take out the bad thoughts. Um... Now, here's the thing. We're like maybe 40 minutes into the movie, 45 minutes into the movie. No mummy. All we've seen is like some Egyptian we dudes. We saw a wrapped body. 
<laughs> okay, so <laughs> at the very beginning of the movie, they promise, you know, that we're going to see some really nasty mummy stuff later on. And then all we've seen is Brandon Fraser shooting regular people. You got to build to it. And now we see Beatles. Which... You don't see Jaws in the first fucking 10 minutes of the movie. Are you comparing the mummy to Jaws? I mean, they both have exhibits and rides at Universal Studios. <laughs> uh, Rick and Evelyn are able to dig. They are not incompetent, much like everyone else on this fucking excavation. Uh, and they find Im- Imhotep pretty easily. They find his sarcophagus and they open it up using, a, I-, I think Jonathan had the key to it. But then you get your fucking mummy, this big scary skeleton that looks wet pops out and we get a good jump scare out of it. Uh, Meanwhile, the other crew finds the Book of the Dead, which is this black book hidden somewhere within the fucking pyramid that they're in. And oddly enough, they're like competing for the dig, uh, competing to find artifacts and parts, but they stay on the same campground and just have access to each other's shit. I mean, that's a good message of sharing. (laughs) We will fight inside the pyramid, but we will not fight outside. That's right. If you need to take a break, have a beer. Banning together. It's it's such a confused message, though, because if you're going to join forces in general, just join forces with the locals, not just with, uh, what's his name? Danny? Benny? Uh, Who? The... Egyptian French tour. The guy, the, the skinny guy that Benny, betrays yeah. everyone. Yeah. So... He is the only one, one that that you know, kind of like plays all sides. Sometimes he he is against Brendan Fraser. Sometimes he's pro Brendan Fraser. It, it, it's but then everybody else. He's whoever benefits him, right? But that's I don't know. I I just think that this he's whole mess up him from Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's Egyptian Jeremy Davis, <laughs> uh, shaking his head at the nonsensical violence around him. It's just like Americans. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just, I think that everybody in this movie goes out of their way to, to unleash the apocalypse. It's inadvertent. I mean, fucking Rachel Weiss, sorry, a woman wants to read a book. (laughs) Uh, Why did she have to read it out loud? I don't know. Was she like giving a class? No, she steals the book of the dead from, from one of the Americans and then brings it over to her side of the camp. And then reads out loud. You don't know. You don't do that without knowing that that it's gonna lead to to bad stuff. I disagree. Much it's like, called the Book of the Dead. Yeah, much like when Bart accidentally rose the dead on The Simpsons. This is exactly what happened. I think she was just trying to read it to Brendan Fraser. She could tell he needed a little bit more culture in his life. Uh, but she does inadvertently wake up the mummy. And um, fuck, who's the guy that says what have we done? Because that's incredible. Oh, there's there's one more Egyptian, I think, in the in the in the group. One that doesn't look like any known actor, so <laughs> No, he was he was Or a was white he British? Boy. Yeah, he was a British dude, but yeah, yeah. he like this huge swarm of locusts come in, uh, signaling obviously that the end of times is near and he, we just get a close up on of him doing the like the what have I done? I think he says, Oh my god, he what says, have I done? He literally says, What have I done? Because that's just that's how you know that the screenwriters gave up. <laughs> Uh, what is this with the plagues, the locusts, the beetles? The later on we see water turn to blood. How, what is it? this? Is not the mummy. I want to see a dude wrapped in bandages walking around, <laughs> scaring people. Well, that's what he was, but it all decomposed, and now we're stuck with an even scarier, more terrifying villain, 
who apparently has the ability to fucking summon the plague and rain frogs and bring hell from above. Uh, this thing's fucking wreaking havoc at this point. And he is killing people individually to scavenge their body parts. It's the most to rebuild himself. Impractical way of doing it. He he goes after he goes after the guy, one of the Americans who falls and breaks his glasses, and so he can't see. The guy with the worst vision in the group, and that's the guy that gets his eyes taken out by See, I will concede to that plot hole. That did not make much sense to me. Well, especially because you never see the mummy after like wearing glasses. No. Wouldn't he? Like, I mean, this guy had really fucked up eyes. Yes. When After his glasses are broken, you see everything looks blurry. Uh, and yet, Emotep takes his eyes and he's like, fine. To be fair, he is a mythical creature. He could make anything happen that he really wanted to. Except apparently create eyes uh, on his own. He needs to steal them from others. I mean, he needs a base to work off of. The earth wasn't built in a day. Um, but he collects body parts. He finally puts some clothes on, which is appreciated. And then he recruits Benny, who Benny thinks he's going to die in a really nice touch of cowardice. He has the religious symbols of multiple religions and begins praying to each individual god. And then something that didn't age too well, starts speaking Hebrew. The mummy says, ah, the language of the slaves, you may be useful after all. I mean... Could have rethought that, even in 99. Probably not the best idea. Steven Sommers was just unleashed by by this part in the movie, and he was just, we're going to offend every single religion. This was the only part he wanted to make sure held to historical uh, accuracy. Uh, Benny's been recruited. He is tempted by the promise of gold, all the riches in the land. Uh, the mummy is unleashed, and this is where we get the solidifying moment of Brendan Fraser, action star, as he runs in and he gets to hit what is most important of any action star, and that's the one-liner. He sees the mummy and he retorts, we are in serious trouble. <laughs> to which he turns, cowers, and just runs away, which is always... Which is which is a Harrison Ford move. Which, it's a classic. Why tamper with the classics, you know? Because it's not his. Why does he come up with his own move? It's, okay, there's like three types of movies that just play <laughs> off each other. I mean... The Harrison Ford movie. Gone with the Wind. <laughs> and Psycho. And Psycho. Those are the three movies that are repeated, played off of, plagiarized, what have you. But hitting his one-liner with great comedic timing and a plum, then we kind of get just a staggering portion of the film where it's just the mummy's rebuilding himself and everyone else is just kind of taking it easy. I guess they're just trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do. They... I don't know, dude. It's like now they know that like, this is to be happening. Fair, that's what like fucking half of Interstellar is. <laughs> well, Interstellar also sucks. The planet getting weaker and everyone just kind of figuring out what they're gonna do about it. Yeah, they they they're lacking a sense of urgency. Even Brandon Fraser, who's supposed to be the guy that's in this whole scenario, he's the guy that's really ready to get out of here, right? Mm-hmm. He he's they've all seen it, but he seems to be the only one that's taking the mummy seriously. Yes. And uh, Rachel Weisz wants to stay and and help put the mummy away because she feels responsible. But Brandon Fraser is like, no, we need to go, we need to go, and they argue, and then finally Fraser is like, well, fine, I'm leaving, and then he goes to the bar. <laughs> Uh, and you brought it up, and props to Rachel Weiss, the Evelyn character, as she realizes she did wrong, so she wants to correct it, which is always a noble character trait. Uh, with Brendan Fraser, you know, I think he wants the same. 
I think he's just prolonging this to spend more time around Evelyn. Uh, because when he shoots the mummy, he just shoots him like in the lower abdomen. He doesn't aim to kill. I mean, he's just he's trying to prolong this as well. And I think he's just putting up a face of, oh, no, I've got to stay here longer with you. So what's the excuse for everybody else that's at the bar is just chilling? They're just They're... dumb. <laughs> Those dumb Americans. Yes. I mean, it plays back to it's like spinning it on uh, on its head. I think this is an anti-American movie in that. I agree. They, <laughs> that they, makes it a bad movie. They lure in. Not always. Why do we always have to be the hero? They lure these fucking dumb, ignorant Americans into their city saying, all right, yeah, have at it. And then they get pissed though when they fuck up their land because this mummy's back. And then by the end of the movie, they fucking ruin the entire town. So it's a message. Be wary of all Americans. Be wary of Brandon Fraser and his guns. <laughs> he cannot do as much damage as the ignorance of an American. <laughs> so the mummy continues to get stronger, but he is still terrified of cats. Which it took me a while to fucking figure out what was going on here. They are the guardians of the underworld, is the, what they said. They're cats. Yes. I mean, it, this is this is insane. I just in case it was getting too spooky and you know a bit too intense for you, there's a nice comic relief added to it. The way this mummy freaks out every time he sees a cat. <laughs> it's dumb on two on two sides of it, right? This super powerful being just freaks the fuck out when he sees a cat. It's not just that, oh, like like a vampire with garlic or something. No, he screams. He, like, dissolves. Loses his shit. But then, even dumber is the fact that Brendan Fraser and, and everybody else, they don't go and, like, recruit all the cats they can find in Egypt. You know, if after seeing that, I would just walk around surrounded by cats. No, he uses a cat once. <laughs> It doesn't even carry a single cat to the final battle later on. To ensure that no animals were harmed during the production of the film. And also... They will be harmed if the world It's a fucking imaginary city. Like, they have to wait for the sun to set to find it. Like, it, you have to stand in the right position. Like, it's a lost city. So there are no cats in lost cities? I would assume so. Cats are everywhere, man. <laughs> Just put some milk out there. I've never been to the city of uh, Hemenoptera, so I'm not sure what they're feline population looks like um, but they have the one and they use it twice to their advantage what they need though to fucking close the deal on this because they can't just keep scaring them away they got to get rid of them for good they need the book of life they need to go back uh to the scene of the crime the sarcophagus because as the mummy's getting stronger uh imhotep is intent on bringing his mistress back to life Essentially, his plan is to bring her back and find a lovely young lass that he can sacrifice and put her spirit being into. Uh, so he has the hots for Rachel Weiss. I mean, right? It's like I think it was who doesn't the, agreed, but it was it was the first uh, woman that he saw after being resurrected. Uh, I guess he thinks that she looks like like his beloved. And then, you know, she she rescued him. He 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 kind of tells her, thank you for resurrecting me. Mm -hmm. So why not just just stick there? You know, just just stay with Rachel Weisz. You don't need to bring back. Why go through like the extra trouble of resurrecting the princess, the queen that was dead like so long ago when you already have like the upgraded version that's already alive? He could have just taken Rachel Weisz and gone away and then that'll be it. Obviously, you don't know how love works. You have James Marsden with a good job in front of you, but you really want Grease Monkey Ryan Gosling. <laughs> That's how we do things in the movie industry, my friend. So before this process can take place, or this transfusion, or resurrection, or any of these things can go through, Imahotep has summoned 
like an entire militia of locals, like lepers and those damaged. I, I didn't quite get where these numbers came from, but they came out in droves to support him. You just have to assume, like with most of the things that happened in this movie, that they just happened because he's the mummy. And apparently the mummy has gone from being... Uh, just got out on the street that the mummy was back. <laughs> yeah, the mummy got back. The mummy's back, and and he's got more powers than God. <laughs> so, this is again not what you expect when you sign up for the mummy, you know. And I should have known because the poster for the movie, the cover of the DVD, is not the mummy. It's the Sandman. Yeah, it's a screaming Sandman. What the hell? Uh, I think it is very um, ambiguous and leads open interpretation. And in the end, is kind of a switcheroo, because you barely see that guy at all in the entire movie. Uh, Evelyn agrees to go with Imahotep in agreement that he will let the others go, won't take them. So his plan now is to go and sacrifice her. Uh, Evie's going to be his bride. We see that he's got her on the sacrificing table next to the body of his, um, the mummified body of his former mistress. And what, where, do they, is this where they like kick in the door? Well, they have to get on the plane. Oh, yeah. Why do they get on a plane? I don't I know. I mean, obviously, we need a, a flight <laughs> sequence, but... You, you need to bring the Sandman. Yes. But, uh, I don't know. Earlier in the movie, when they're drinking, when they're all drinking, some old dude that I thought was Scotty from Star Trek, but mm-hmm. it's not because we, we IMDb'd him, uh, yeah. he, he comes in and he's like, I wish that I'd gone out in a blaze of glory during the war. Like everybody else, and uh, so you know that that dude's gonna sacrifice himself later, and that's that's what happens. They go... very abruptly. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, Bernard Bernard Fox. Okay, on, in that picture, he looks like Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> he does <laughs> Egyptian Ernest. No, he, this guy's not Egyptian, right? No. He's American. Yeah, he's British. British. Yeah. Okay, well, this Welsh. guy, this Welsh guy, uh, he he has a plane, and I guess Brendan Fraser, John Hanna. And the leader of the of the the resistance, the, the bodyguards, uh, what you call it? You had their name for them. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The, the unagi, the, the, the emojis. Med high. The med high. Uh, they want to go rescue Rachel Weisz, so they they hired this guy on his plane. And uh, I don't understand. Once again, the mummy has all the power in the world. Apparently, <laughs> it it conveniently fails him when it's about to kill Brendan Fraser. So once again. They're flying this plane, and the mummy just conjures this massive sand face. Yes. And one, Brendan Fraser is stupid enough to think that shooting at it is going to do anything. Mm -hmm. He unloads two guns worth of bullets into the face to no effect. And then the mummy gets distracted because Rachel Wise decides to, like, smooch with him. Are you telling me that this supernatural being can't multitask he can't make out with rachel wise and destroy this plane using his super sand powers i can't really speak to that because i don't know what i would do if i was kissing rachel vice i don't know what would uh what would overcome me (laughs) you would lose your sand powers absolutely what minor sand powers i currently have would be completely lost so he gets away obviously with the girl we're in peril here because we need a final conclusion because that just wasn't epic enough and yeah, the, the pilot dies very quickly. He's devoured by a fucking quicksand. Uh, not enough time for taps to play, anything like that. But Brandon Fraser tries, which is ridiculous because we barely know this guy. But he, he like checks his pulse. Then he turns to John Hanna and he looks so like heartbroken. It's humanizing him. But is, who is that guy? 
I don't know, but he sacrificed his life to try to get Rachel Vice back. It's like Egyptian Paul Giamatti didn't get that much of a of a send off, <laughs> and he was more of a character. So the sacrificial uh, ceremony has begun. Uh, the mummy is reading off his script. Uh, he's ready to revive his bride. Rachel Vice, understandably so, is kind of freaking out. Uh, in my notes here, it says action star Brendan Fraser saves the day. He has a big fucking sword that he's wielding, which is awesome. He's been shooting guns the whole movie, much like Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. He needed a sword to finish the job. It, it is, to me, seeing him fight all these, he calls them mummies, but really these are zombies. So oh, yeah. let's get down to it. I'm I not mean, sure they knew what a zombie was in 1926. This is the, why would you call him a mummy? You know, they don't even have the bandages really hanging there. He could have just said, the undead. Well, they started as mummies. He knows the story by this point, much like all of us. <laughs> uh, I I mean, it might be that, of course, zombies by now, they've been just, you've squeezed all the juice out of that that orange, that, that undead orange. I, I've seen zombies get killed and kill people in every possible way. So when I see Brendan Fraser swinging a sword, to killing be fair, zombies, we had, this is like twenty years ago. We didn't have that fucking intense zombie infatuation. Well, it it feels dated, but then the other problem is that it's a cartoon. <laughs> He's just like there's this insane moment where he cuts a mummy's head, and then the mummy like balances the head in its two hands, just like going. You know, oh, 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 like oh. it's gonna fall. It's, it was like watching George Banks in the the big fight at the end of episode one, the Phantom Menace. Uh, you you're cutting back and forth between Brendan Fraser just having a cartoon fight with the with the with the mummies, John Hanna running around trying to decipher what the book of the, book the book of, of life, life uh, says, and uh, Rachel Weisz running away from from Emotep, from the the big mummy. Uh, it's all cross-cutting. It's it's like watching... It's if, like, The End of Phantom Man has had three Jar Jar Binks sequences. It's, there's no, there's no Qui-Gon, uh, Obi-Wan, and Darth Maul in this one. Difference being, The Mummy never tries to take itself or present itself seriously like Phantom Menace does. And uh, what you buried in your lead is how good the CGI is in this for a fucking 20-year-old movie. Especially considering the second Mummy was regarded for terrible CGI. Uh, <laughs> this one looks quite good. And yeah, this whole movie's a fucking cartoon. It starts with Brendan Fraser, you know, he finds a big face in the sand and everyone runs away from him. And I mean, it's if you take a movie with Brendan Fraser seriously, despite the fact that he's been in a movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture, which I don't know why you would, you're you're setting yourself up for disappointment. It's called The Mummy. It's not called Looney Tunes Presents The Mummy. Yes, because the old Marvel uh, monster movies were so grounded in reality. Well, I mean, it at least it, it was going for the scares. There's nothing scary in this movie. Uh, I disagree. Those Except Beatles for, uh, are pretty fucking skin crawling. No I, pun intended. <laughs> I think the only scary thing in this movie is that cat, if you're a mummy. <laughs> if you're a fellow mummy watching the movie. Uh, there's a couple good jump scares, like when the mummy first surfaces out of the sarcophagus. Um, but eventually, our hero, our fearless uh, superhero in this film, Brendan Fraser, frees Evelyn. She's able to get the book. Uh, she's able to read a spell from it, which turns the mummy uh, Imahotep mortal. And in a moment of live by the sword, die by the sword, he just runs right into getting stabbed and then falls into this pit of despair but also literal death 
It's it's supposed to be Brandon Fraser's. It is the big ending moment. of the Phantom Menace when Darth Maul dies. <laughs> Except that he, he, she even says it. He becomes human. Mm-hmm. He is human. He's not. He has no powers anymore. And Brandon Fraser just murders him. <laughs> they could have just hauled him to to prison, but instead he runs a, a sword through his body, and then they watch him dissolve. Uh, Brandon Fraser is not a hero. <laughs> <laughs> He's not the hero we need, but the one we deserve. <laughs> the hero Egypt deserved. Yes. I mean, to be fair, that dude tried to kill Brennan Fraser like a thousand times. So. Yeah, but we're supposed to be better than that, Alex. Uh, we're no, Americans. This, this movie does nothing to say that about <laughs> Americans. This movie sends no cross messages whatsoever. And then Benny reappears just to fuck everything up. He's got his big sack of gold. He sets it down on uh, a ledge, which, of course, it's a fucking old sarcophagus old pyramid yeah there's gonna be fucking booby traps and shit in it so it hits this lever and the whole place starts imploding it's essentially this self-destruct sequence that he initiates it's a self-destruct sequence of every indiana jones movie yes you know it's it's indy brandon fraser running away with with the girl uh even up to the point where they they drop the book of life and then rachel weiss has to like run back to try to get it and then they have to run back to like get her oh, and no, tell that's her the best forget. part it's just got it's fucking lost the dude just <laughs> drops it in like the water and he he completely no sells it and then she goes back and they're like what the fuck are you doing they have to just tell her it's not that important i think that's the the uh message being sent forget leave books. it behind not forget books just whatever if you're about to die just leave it behind uh benny does is not so lucky he does not make it out alive and he is literally overtaken by the beatles uh, not the rhythmic <laughs> drums of uh, Ringo Starr, but the uh, flesh-eating virus that the the uh, these green and blue beetles just completely encase his body. Uh, he dies in the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin. Did... <laughs> I was thinking of Scrooge McDuck's Money Pit. That's what I thought of when I saw that. <laughs> Disney everywhere. It's, it's weird, too, because they try to give uh, Brandon Fraser some humanity, and he actually... Goes Brandon back Fraser to try to save pure him. Pure humanity. He's all humanity. He is being ruthless the entire movie, not giving a second thought to shooting people, shooting animals, shooting beetles, shooting anything. And yet, when this guy, this character, Benny, who's one of the most despicable in the in in the movie, one of the people that's caused the most harm, he is he's struggling to get out, and Brandon Fraser actually comes back for him. Yeah, I think there's a backstory to them we're not quite sure of. My understanding was the third mummy was supposed to be their backstory, but they couldn't afford Fraser at that point, so they had to go with Jet Li instead. So we'll never quite know what the true backstory of it was. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a story, there's a, a screenplay. Somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in uh, uh, Stephen Sommer's Pyramid. You just have to push the right Written by buttons. Shane Black. <laughs> That's the second movie with the precocious kid. That's the one written by Shane Black. Oh, fuck. Brendan Fraser was in the third one. I didn't even remember that. Yeah, no, it's Rachel Weisz who's not in the, in the third one. Okay, they couldn't afford they, the, her. The one good thing that they, they had going in this franchise, and they just took it away. Uh, this this movie ends with something that I, that at least this part it didn't rip off from a, from an Indiana Jones movie, uh, which is they get their happy ending. You know the the dude, the leader of the of the emojis. He is he survives because you thought that he died, that he would sacrificed himself fighting the mummies, but actually he's still alive. Yeah, and then he fucking avatars them and makes them like <laughs> natives of the land. Also, yeah, uh, and then 
Brandon Fraser hooks up with Rachel Weisz. They finally make they out. They just have a nice kiss. It's nothing too uh, graphic or... No, like, uh, John Hanna goes like, man, we came all the way for nothing. We got, we we're empty-handed. And and Brendan Fraser puts his arm around Rachel Weisz's waist. And he's like, well, I wouldn't say that. Speak for yourself. I, I got me a woman. And, uh, and then, and then John Hanna tries to make out with a camel. Uh, it's tongue in cheek. We need one last <laughs> laugh. I mean, any great action movie, you got to go out on a laugh and that's what we do. Dude, he goes for it. <laughs> that camel, like. It freaks out. That the, the camel didn't know that John Hanna was improvising that last line. Man, you spent 48 hours running away from, like, this resurrected body that can just fucking do anything it wants to. You know, I've never been in that situation. Maybe you want to kiss a camel when it's all said and done. You're in the desert. Your sister's making out with Brandon Fraser. <laughs> At that point, I'd just be celebrating because now I'm, I'm rich by osmosis. And that's the mummy. Yeah, it literally goes right to the credits. <laughs> they ride off into the sunset. Much like uh, Indy and his and his gang at the end of Last Crusade, and then 19 years later, Rachel Weisz had a baby with James Bond. She is the living end. the high life. <laughs> Rachel Weisz was the biggest winner uh, out of all this. She got out of the franchise before it got really bad. <laughs> Dropped Fraser for Bond, and now she's a mom. She is. She, didn't she win an Oscar at some point, or she was nominated for an Oscar? Uh, she's been me. nominated yeah. at least. She didn't uh, win, but. Uh... Yeah, I think of the mummy, uh, she came out head and shoulders above the rest. Where is John Hanna? I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what he's done recently. Oh, he's an overboard from this year. Holy shit, he was, and I watched that movie. Yeah, yeah. he is. He plays uh, the, not the butler, but basically he's uh, you know, the second in command. Uh, he's the butler and, and that movie. He's... Man, he looked very different. <laughs> He's lost weight. He's like lean. Oh, he was in the third mummy also. He was in the words. Never saw it. Oh, man. B Coop. Yep. B Coop and Zoe Saladana. Yeah, that's about it. It looks like he hasn't really done much else. He was just clinging on to that mummy money. He actually operates the ride at Universal Studios now. (laughs) (laughs) I think he had a taste of the blockbuster, of the American blockbuster. And then he was like, I've had enough. I'm ready to just retire and go to a small town. <laughs> Push a button every day. <laughs> All right, let's 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 go to real talk. Yes, that movie was surprisingly harder to follow than I thought it was watching it. <laughs> you were actually at Hamanatra. Yeah, I was there. You swear. Every damn day. No, I didn't mean that. I know what you meant. I was there. Seti's place, city of the dead. Could, could you tell me how to get there? I mean, the exact location. You want to know? Well, well, yes. Do you really want to know? Yes. Then get me the hell out of here! We are recording for Real Talk for The Mummy. Yes, Real Talk. Julio, it's one in the morning right now, and uh, my notes in that movie were more confusing to follow than I had originally thought. (laughs) So, uh... I don't know. I'm talking to you. I'm more or less talking to the audience. If I seemed it a bit all over the place in that first portion, uh, it's mainly due to the time. We had some uh, issues getting our equipment uh, working, so we kind of jimmy rigged for the recording of this episode. Uh, so if I'm not up to my usual golden standard, I do want to apologize. I understand that uh, y'all tune in expecting nothing but the absolute best from me. The maddest standard, the maddest as, as it were. Uh, 
Yeah, but no, I really, when I was reading back through that, trying to put that movie back together in my head, I was like, oh, wait, this is a bit more confusing than I thought it was. <laughs> it's really easy to follow in real time, just because I was... It's just Brendan Fraser yeah, kicking ass. Brendan Fraser just having a hoot, and Rachel Weisz being really pretty. Um, man, and did it pay off in spades? Where did I have that? Uh, so, The Mummy was released on May 7th, 1999, and it was a box office smash. $80 million was the budget, uh, grossing over $400 million, right around four sixteen. it looks like here. Um, inver- conversely, uh, Dudley Do-Right was also Brendan Fraser's movie of 1999. had a similar, shockingly, had a similar budget at $70 million, and it only recouped a seventh of that. Whereas this one, man, just set the fucking world on fire. I'm pretty sure this is one of those, especially knowing Universal and the way they turn these out, I'm pretty sure on Monday after that was released, so that would have been on May uh, 12th, or excuse me, the the 10th, excuse me, they were like, all right, we need another one. Let's put it, let's do this now. Steven? Steven? <laughs> get cracking. Are you on the, are you on the horn? Please get writing. Just, uh, we don't care where it is as long as uh, it has the words mummy in the title and Brandon Fraser is in it. <laughs> Which uh, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck all turned down the role. Which, I don't know, of course hindsight is what it is. We're two decades removed from this and I can't think about The Mummy without thinking about Brendan Fraser. But at the same time... Can you imagine a world where when you think The Mummy, you think Tom Cruise? Oh, wait. (laughs) Yeah, that I have no knowledge of that whatsoever, so I'll let you delve into that here shortly. Um only bit of trivia that really stuck out to me was that, yeah, uh, when they shot that hanging scene, Brendan Fraser almost died. Like, he stopped breathing and they had to resuscitate him. Were they actually hanging him? Dude, it looked like it on that fucking shot they did, but I, I don't know. I mean... I mean, um, they have they have special, it? like... Didn't Jesse Eisenberg or Isla Fisher almost die on that one movie? Was oh, uh, Now You See Me? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that shit happens all the time. You gotta be careful. He's a national with... treasure. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Fraser, you only get one every generation. You can't just, like, hang him for real. Or was he just going method? And he's like, <laughs> I can't really quite reach the the necessary... Man, everything down to the poster is, like... Indiana Jones? No, I was more thinking just, like, very 1999. Like, if I could just put a pin in that time <laughs> i was just surprised godsmack wasn't on the soundtrack <laughs> uh which they were for the scorpion king which was of course a spinoff because they had, you that, had to give it some time ah stand alone <laughs> um yeah so 57 what else are these people saying okay well we're gonna open this this second barrage of uh quotes with uh one of the greatest roger ebert from chicago sun times god bless there is hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. <laughs> Fresh. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a very fair and just review of this movie. Uh, Jim Judy from ScreenEd says, Brandon Fraser and Rachel Weisz just don't have what it takes to carry the picture. Mm. Come on, man. Yeah, disagree. Yeah, no, they're both great. Uh, now that we are in real talk, we're going to tell you how we really feel. Yes. Uh, filmfile.com says a rollicking adventure yarn of thrills humor and daring close calls albeit one literally borrowing its style and tone from the Indiana Jones series Uh, Sandra Romani from City Search says the jokes are lame forced and stretched thin as is the romance between O'Connell and Evie and both seem like unwelcome interruptions from the main story 
they are the main story. Yeah, what the fuck? Uh, David Sterrett from Christian Science Monitor. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg pioneered this new yet old approach in the Star Wars and Indiana Jones series, and the formula is viable enough to make The Mummy popular with its target teenage audience. You think it was aimed at the teenage audience? Uh, no. I think it was aimed at families. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. Widget Walls from NeatCoffee.com says, Universal has done the unthinkable. They've created the Anti-Matrix, the summer event movie you simply <laughs> have to avoid. <laughs> Unnecessarily rough. Uh, Gary Thompson from the Philadelphia Daily News says, The Mummy, quite shamelessly, combines the imagery and serialized thrills of the Indiana Jones movies with the frenetic special effects energy of the Evil Dead movies and has quite a bit of fun in doing so. All right, sorry. This the special effects in this are better than Evil Dead. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and finally, James Sanford from the Kalamazoo Gazette. Well, to put a that's unfair because a lot of this was CGI, whereas like everything in Evil Dead was practical. So I withdraw my statement. <laughs> uh, Councilor Mattis is asking <laughs> for the statement to be removed from the record. I withdraw my question. <laughs> uh, Finally, James Sanford from the Kalamazoo Gazette says, It's easy to fall back on self-conscious humor. But if, as the author, you have to keep interrupting your story to remind the audience how dumb the material is, what's the point of telling the tale in the first place? He closes us with a, with a question uh, that I will post to you now, Alex. What's that? Is the movie too dumb to be worth it? It's too long for how dumb it is. But no, it's not too dumb to be worth it. I mean, you had fun. Yeah. I had fun. I laughed. I was reading while you were going through those. I forgot how much came of this because it did make so much money. Toy lines, video game. uh, There was an animated series. And then they made The Mummy Returns. And then The Scorpion King off of that. And then obviously the third one we mentioned, which for whatever reason I thought Brendan Fraser wasn't even in it at all. (laughs) But in fucking 2008 or whenever that came out, what the fuck else was he doing? Um, so I don't know why I'm surprised. I, I screened that movie, and I can't even tell you a goddamn thing that it's about. Well, at least you remember that Jed Lee is in it. Yes, I did remember that. And I have been on the ride at Universal Studios in Orlando. I would have been there back in 2006. So what is it? Is it the plane in, like, the Sand Monster? No, you're, like, in a cart. Like, I can't remember it too vividly. Uh, I know there's a big drop where, like, the mummy's, like, over your head, like, rah, trying to come after you. But, um... Does Rachel Weisz kiss you at the end? God, if only. <laughs> Longest line at Universal Studios. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the real Rachel Weisz. It's just an animatronic, but they're like, sure. Yeah. Uh, opened in 2004, because yeah, I do remember, I was there in 06, the summer of 06, and I remember like the line just being astronomical for it. Anyway, we're not here talking about Universal Studios. We can do that at some point, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Contrarians Presents. Universal Studios. Oh, that's definitely a, a podcast. I know they they exist in the hundreds of reviewing <laughs> amusement parks and shit like that. But, uh, yeah, no, this movie was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it's another one of those that I know I'd seen, like, the last half hour. I guess I'd never seen the movie complete all the way through in one sitting. So, that being said, it is too long. It could have been about 20 minutes shorter because that's the problem, like, when we were recording and when I was thinking about it. Like, when you have time to think about it, then, like, some things kind of start to be, like, hmm. But um, Rachel Weisz, always great. The supporting cast, fine, just fine. 
And I mean, for all the jesting about Brendan Fraser, let's get to it. Let's yeah, let's 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 give it the man it's due. He's fun, man. He's perfectly fine. He's absolutely a joy in this. He's beyond fine. I I think that he's great in this in this movie. Uh, I mean, and, and in other movies, I think he's he's probably underrated. Uh, I maybe don't even quite like, know why he became a big punchline. Right? Why do you not? Why do people generally? You would think have a hard time taking him, taking him seriously. I mean, is it Encino Man, George of the Jungle? I mean, I guess you know when you go to that, then you're like, oh, he's just like a big doofus, yeah, right. And uh, but man, he pulls off action hero like effortlessly, S- seamlessly. Here. He seems really cool and like composed, and his delivery is really good, and he's he... got like the cadence down and like the walk and everything. Yeah, the one liners. Oh yeah, the the, I mean. I'm sure. Obviously, he had a stunt double, but when he didn't, it, it, he he's he seems at home with the action sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time he pulls out the two guns and shoots, I mean, you you buy it. Yeah. You buy it not in the sense that this is realistic. You buy it in the sense of like, oh, this is an adventure movie, and mm-hmm. and he's he's carrying it. Uh, to kind of derail, because I was looking, he did have one other 1999 movie, and it was Blast from the Past, which was like Elisa Silverstone's exit. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it, dude. It's I actually like it. I mean, I've, I've never seen it, uh, but I remember that was like the last. I think like that was the last thing I saw her in or advertised around until Tropic Thunder when she had her cameo in that. I know she did other things. The fuck? Where, where, where is she in Tropic Thunder? She's at the Oscars at the end. She's one of their oh, dates. Oh, I think she's Jay Baruchel's date. Oh wow! Yeah, so I'm sure point. I noticed that at the time. Uh, no, she is in uh uh. The female version of Barbershop, Beauty Beauty Shop, the, the one with Queen Latifah. God bless. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. And then here's the poster of her blowing on the hairdryer like it's a smoking gun. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Blessed from the past, that is Brandon Fraser in full goofy-ass mode. Uh, do you know the plot? Like, it's... He's like... They're, like, reconditioning him to society or something, right? Right. His his dad is Christopher Walken. Uh, I don't remember who plays him Sold. all. I think it's at Sissy Spacek as the mom, and they they have a, a nuclear shelter, and so they think that nuclear war has happened, and they hide in the fifties. They they hide in their shelter, and with Brendan Fraser being like a little kid, and then you know decades have go by, and that, now Brendan Fraser's an adult, and he's like, I'm gonna go out into the world, and uh, you know, fish out of water. Yeah, and so so he comes out, and he meets Alicia Silverstone, and. Yeah. Off to the races we go. Yeah, he has a dance number that's pretty funny. It's it's, it's an okay movie. I like it. I... Yeah. Um. So I love Airheads, and like I was telling you, we're recording. I, I might have mentioned on the podcast before. Huge. Fan. My favorite thing Brendan Fraser ever did was his uh, story arc on Scrubs. I thought that was phenomenal. Um. Quite touching. Like I was telling Julia, I'll always get misty eyed with the way that concludes, but. In this moment here, obviously, I it's a lot different watching it through 2018 glasses. But, I mean, I could completely see people at this point in time thinking that he was going to be, like, a big action star. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, The Mummy 2 happened, and uh, and then there was a Mummy 3. Although, I want to say that by the time The Mummy 3 came out, it, we just, we would not care. Yeah. I, I watched The Mummy 2 basically on the strength of how much I enjoyed The Mummy 1. Yeah, and, and it was it was a quick turnaround. It looks it wasn't even a full two years. No, excuse me, it was like two years on the nose. But um, really, all I remember, I never saw the Mummy Returns, but all I really remember about it was 
uh, Dwayne. Everyone was like surprised that he was like good, because like at that Dude, point, he's barely there <laughs> from what I remember. No, that's the. I just remember, of course, that's coming from my walk right. of life where that that was all I remember people talking about with that. Because then it somehow spawned the Scorpion King sequel as opposed to another Mummy. But yeah, it was a seven-year gap between the second Mummy and the third one, which I think... No, 2008, we hadn't gone quite gung-ho on the reboots and unnecessary sequels. Again, the Mummy was ahead of its time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know. Obviously... You know, there are people pushing for that kind of movie. You know, they wanted The Mummy 3 and they had to get The Mummy 3. But mm -hmm. from the moment that you can't get Rachel Wise back, why bother? Yeah. I, I don't understand. She is... Okay, so already... She's the glue. Yeah. We, we're already just fond over Fraser and his performance. But really, I think probably the most enchanting element of the movie is Rachel Wise. Mm -hmm. uh, and not just because she's super attractive, which she is. I mean, the movie... And the movie knows it. Oh, they yeah. they cut to her every now and then just to remind you that man she's fucking adorable, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? But then her character actually gets to kick some ass. She's really smart. She's funny. Like she gets she's she's the whole package. Yeah. Right. So replacing her in the franchise, why would you do that? That's just it takes away one of your biggest assets and one of the things that's most like distinguishable about your movie. Right, and you're ready. You're you're setting yourself up to fail, or at least you're giving yourself a disadvantage already. Because how many people from the audience are just gonna react negatively to the fact that she's she's recast or she's mm -hmm. like out of the franchise? So, uh, but in this movie, she's great. And John Hanna, I mean, just to complete the the trio there, uh, I think he's funny. I think that I found him funnier when I was younger, mm -hmm. uh, the first time I watched this movie. But he still gets some some good lines, uh, out of you know. The, the main three. He's the one that can sometimes be just a little too much. He is a bit quirky. Yeah. Uh, to Rachel Weiss, to the point of that, um, the opening scene where we see her in the library where she knocks on all the bookshelves in domino fashion, I did confirm because I when we were watching, I was like, God, I hope they got that in one take because you can tell it's practical. And yeah, they did. Like, I guess it was one of those things they were like praying, like um, – <laughs> Fucking 30 Rock, where Jenna's recording in Iceland, and they have one minute to get the tape. Because <laughs> they said it took the entire day to set up the shot, and it would have been like a whole day wasted if they fucked it up. Which, something like that. It's like a Rube Goldberg test, man. There's even so much for things to go wrong there. But, yeah, she's definitely, you know, commands the screen every time she's on it. But, yeah, Fraser, again, like, I kept getting lost in his performance of just being like, man... I, I dunk on this dude so often, and we always joke about him, but this is, he's, he's rocking the shit in this. Uh, his fight with the mummies, the multiple mummies uh, towards the end, he's just so good. Yeah. it's I, I mean, kudos to him, but also kudos to like whoever was in charge of, of those mummies. Mm -hmm. Because the interaction between him, who's clearly... I mean, were they practical? Were they CGI? I guess was there a mix? Because I was. Pretty... I hope there's like B-roll footage of him like fighting, <laughs> like flailing dudes in like skin tight, you know, green screen suits, <laughs> um, or him yeah, just swinging at tennis balls. And yeah, the, the way that he connects is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. I, I I thought that it was it looked really good and it it made for like a very fun action scene and. When he, he looks so comfortable, yeah, like you would have thought he had done that twenty times before. Maybe he did. Steven Summers was like, again. <laughs> I meant in general, but yes, there may be like a slew of outtakes. He's a, 
he went to a mummy fighting camp for a month <laughs> before they shot the movie. Uh, yeah, no, it it's it's really it's really fun. I don't think it's a negative that it feels so reminiscent of the Indiana Jones movies. I think maybe the thing is that the Indiana Jones movies one they're huge, but also you know when you think adventure movie, you think Indiana Jones because that's like the biggest and the best and all that stuff, right? If you mm-hmm. had more of them, then you wouldn't say, oh, he's ripping off Indiana Jones. You just say, oh, it's an adventure movie, mm-hmm. you know? But you don't get you don't get much of that. Uh, it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I can enjoy them separately. Yeah. Uh, and he is not Harrison Ford. I mean, no. they, they're, they're very different personas. Uh, uh, it's better than the fucking Indiana Jones movie with the aliens. <laughs> And Shia LaBeouf swinging in the trees with the monkeys. The monkeys. Jesus. Um, the Benny character with Egyptian French Stewart, as you brilliantly <laughs> called him in the first portion. Uh, the guy's performance is really, you know, inconsequential, but I thought that character was written. I really liked the way that character was written. Um, you would think that he would get on your nerves, but somehow he's not around long enough in any portion to really get on your nerves. Yeah, I mean, he is a lot of. Uh, when you think about it, he's mostly just like a plot convenience, right? Every time you need something to go, go bad, yeah. you just bring him up, and he's like, "Of course, this guy would fuck it up." Yeah. Uh, even because he's playing it, he's on the John Hanna level of of how how over the top he's playing him. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, he's he's just it works, right? Uh, even even at the end when he dies, I mean. I'm not gonna say I felt bad for him, but I was like, "Oh man, yeah." Well, he gets it really bad too. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it, it's he's he's good in general. Like the the, I mean, you could complain if you wanted to be like a contrarian and contrarian's corner. You could complain about the depiction of Egypt and like you know, just how they are all all the Egyptian people they run into are. As long as they're not the, the guys that are like guarding the, the pyramids, they're just kind of like corrupt and yeah. backstabby and all that stuff. But then at the same time, you also have you do have the Americans being depicted as just these trigger happy idiots, gunslingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's the whole point. Yeah, if you wanted to really get wrapped up in that, you could. But I think the movie does a good enough job of about every five minutes reminding you that it's just grounded in camp and right. how goofy it is which goes back to that last quote right like the guy that's saying like hey if you're gonna be reminding us of how campy and dumb this is why are you even bothering mm-hmm. yeah and it's like because it's fun yeah. <laughs> you can do both you can remind the audience hey don't take this too seriously and still produce an entertaining story a team check and mate <laughs> <laughs> uh pulling it together with the gray area episodes there um I mean, as far as, you know, a ranking or a rating or a Rotten Tomato score, rather. uh, Yeah, I mean, middle of the pack makes perfect sense just because this is definitely the type of movie that some critics are going to fawn over and others are going to turn up their nose at it. I think um, Ebert Ebert. yeah, really hit it on the head. No surprise there. Yeah. I mean, I know I always go back to he didn't give the master a favorable review and I always get (laughs) butthurt about that. But yeah, he said it right. It's stupid, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, it's a, it's a <laughs> corollary, I guess, to all this mummy love. Uh, yeah, the new mummy, the Tom Cruise mummy. Yes, I have not seen that. You have. Oh, dude, it's and it's not that it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, 
I, I want to say I haven't rewatched The Mummy Returns, but I would say I probably enjoyed the Tom Cruise Mummy more than Mummy Returns just because The Mummy Returns irritated me, <laughs> right? It had the same cast from a movie that I really liked and just kind of like put them to waste. Uh, but it, there is just something that feels joyless about this new Mummy, mm-hmm. you know? And I understand they were going for a different approach. They wanted to create this whole, like, dark universe where they're going to bring, like, Frankenstein and Dr. Hyde or Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll and all this stuff, right? So they were going for a different kind of tone. Was it the same director? What's his name? Steven? No, 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 no. Because he, no. he's got a big old boner for all that shit because he did Van Helsing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, this is a... Fuck, who was it? I want to say it was, like, a sort of, like, somebody who's made a few movies, but... uh Michael Haneke? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was Tom Cruise contemplating uh, you know, mortality and getting old, and then he becomes a mummy. <laughs> like, the climax is him suffocating the mummy yes. to take it out of its misery. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well, but it, it's kind of hard, right? Because at least to anybody that's our age, uh, and even, like, I would say even 10 years younger than us, you know, when they think the mummy, they think Brendan Fraser, they think fun, uh, lighthearted, all that stuff. Yeah. And now it's like the mummy, and it's just like just a bit of a slog. It's it's a lot of setup for a universe that might not even come to be now because the movie bombed, right? Oh but, yeah, it did really bad. Yeah, but it's it, the odds were stacked against it to begin with, I think. And I like Tom Cruise, and even even as a Tom Cruise fan, I just couldn't really bring myself to care about mm-hmm. his character. Uh, the best part of the movie is um, Russell Crowe as uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, that sounds it, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he gets, I mean, he's a small part. John Hanna gets more screen time here in this movie than Russell Crowe does in, in The New Mummy. But... Did he refuse prosthetics? Is it just like him making weird faces like <laughs> when Bradley Cooper was the <laughs> elephant man? <laughs> uh I want to say at some point he goes full CGI, but for yes. the most for the most part it's it's uh it's all crow. Um fantastic. Yeah. Well, I I think that the idea that the the hint of oh we're going to develop this into a uh our own Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's going to be with universal monsters, that 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 got me tickled more than anything, but the execution was pretty flat and I I don't know. I would watch a sequel just to see where they go. Mm-hmm. But when you put it side by side with Brandon Fraser's The Mummy, it's like no competition. Let's just <laughs> let's go have fun. You know, listen to Brandon Fraser, throw one liners as he shoots mm-hmm. thirty bullets out of one gun. And also, um Rachel Vice, I think so people are inclined to use her in like really serious roles, dramatic roles. I mean I know she's done other like lighthearted things like uh Definitely maybe. She wasn't definitely maybe. What's the one I'm thinking of though? The fucking Brothers Bloom. I haven't seen it, but I know. No, she was in like a fairy tale movie. Um, Wizard of Oz. What? What was the live action movie they did where like fucking Mila Kunis was the witch? Wasn't it Wizard of Oz? Oh, uh, yeah, with James Franco, right? I mean, it but wasn't. It, it was like a spinoff. It wasn't called Wizard of Oz. Right. It was, it was like the Witches of Oz. Returned to Oz or some <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. She was in that, but like, what I mean is. All that to say, um, she definitely fucking thrives in like this lighthearted kind of fun, affable role. I, I thought, uh, if you couldn't tell already, but I was saying, I thought she like stole the show. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think that uh, when you're a young teenage boy, maybe John Hanna 
steals the the show as like oh comic relief but here as an adult i'm like oh rachel wise was the funniest thing in that movie oh yeah absolutely um i do want to stress and thank everyone that voted i know i mentioned it in the for- first portion but <laughs> i'm a little bit more awake right now so. now, now that the bitterness has uh, oh, yeah. it's because you ended up enjoying the movie probably more than you expected or at least oh yeah a lot of that was just me that was for banter purposes of me wanting to <laughs> push freddy versus jason uh but yeah everyone that voted we had almost 300 votes which was fucking awesome and uh definitely uh in my opinion shows that that works and we can use that system again in the future yeah not for episode 80 though because episode 80 is set in stone it's gonna be uh walter mitty yes we've been that was one of the initial movies that we discussed when we were fucking inceptualizing this podcast yeah so. when well, we said gray area episode so we can do movies like walter mitty <laughs> yeah because both Lily and i fucking love it but um yeah 57 percent is fine based on what rotten tomatoes signifies but to me this is like a, a solid b b plus movie i really had a good time like i said my biggest complaint is the length you could easily shave off about 20 minutes um i think it's one of those where now, uh, keep in mind if it was released today it would be four and a half hours long <laughs> Uh, I think the theatrical experience would make that that little bit of fat move faster. There's something to yeah. be said for just watching it with, you know, like just the giant screen, the the full audience and the surround sound and all that stuff that gets you pumped and gets you over those 20 minutes or so where you're like, ah, this could move a little faster. Especially through 1999 lenses. Yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, now, I mean, of course, our sensibilities have changed a little, but not enough that we can't appreciate Brandon Fraser Dude, I would watch a new mummy movie that brought back Brandon Fraser. Just, I'll, I'll, I can look past everybody else. Just bring back Brandon Fraser as this grizzled uh, mummy hunter that is just—it's the fucking new Blade Runner. We need someone else, but then like <laughs> Brendan Fraser appears to show him how it's really done. So it would be like Shia LaBeouf as like the no, new... no, no. Shia LaBeouf's yesterday's news. It'd uh, have to be like fucking younger. Um, uh, uh, I don't know who's the it kid these days. Dave Franco. Yeah, that'd be good. This is Dave Franco as a... (laughs) Oh my God, it's a mummy. (laughs) So episode... Jesus, dude, we're in the 70s now. Episode 71 is going to be... The Kids Are All Right. Yeah. By Alex Mattis' request. (laughs) Yeah, when upon discovering that movie was 93%, I thought, yeah, we need to take that down a few pegs. (laughs) So, um... Okay, so 71 on the table. Kids are all right. We'll still be recording our Halloween bonus episode, uh, our commentary track on Halloween 5. Uh, we'll still figure out the logistics of that. Um, and, and then at some point in early November, we'll do our, our anniversary mm-hmm. episode, which we usually do in at the end of October. But since we have a lot of stuff coming out in October, we'll we'll give you a breather. Yeah. So probably be like give out the Embrys and the Rouseys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so I'm thinking, and I was gonna discuss this with you later, but just like to put it on record, we have to basically take off the competition all the summer of Travolta movies, right? Because they already had their awards. Mm-hmm. It would be unfair. It's gonna be a smaller pool for sure. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. We're going through like a lot of movies. We're definitely we've done more movies this year than last year. Yeah, and. So maybe when you take away the Travoltis, like all the Travolta stuff, you'll be left with a pool that's similar to the one we had last year. That's fair. Yeah, there's a lot to choose from, too. So, yeah, the Embrys and the Rouseys coming soon. Um, 
In the meantime, uh, winding down here, I just have a quick plug for, uh, well, obviously our regular plugs for the festive years for providing our opening and closing tracks. Summer 99 takes us out. Last Stand opens us up regularly. Well, we have uh, the guy that did our logo, mm-hmm. the mighty Hans Rod Geezer, <laughs> who not only does logos for people when they request it nicely, but also has a podcast. Uh, his podcast is called Nacion Combi, and it's in Spanish. So if you know Spanish or you want to practice your Spanish, if you want to listen to Peruvian stuff, listen to it. Um, if you want a logo, you can contact him. He's on Twitter at Mil Demonios. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. And you can also email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. Excellent. Uh, my plug was just for Conor McGregor's whiskey. I bought it just being a total fucking mark. And like... <laughs> I saw the picture. Yeah. I, <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were being serious or not. Oh, dude. Like, so pointless. Uh, But it's actually really fucking good. I know you're not, like, too much of... A hard liquor drinker? No. Yeah. You drink socially and to the point of frustration with me of every beer tastes the same, everything tastes the same. You like summer beer, that drink. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, no, as a connoisseur, the his whiskey's, like actually really good and it i was like bummed like i wanted it to be like terrible like crusty brand like it was just like something that he randomly put his name on just for like the purposes of banter but very good so if you are a whiskey drinker pick up a bottle of proper 12 it's pretty affordable it's uh right around 30 bucks um from one to ten what do you give it uh probably like a seven it's not the best whiskey i've ever had but it's definitely it's very good for its price and um, Connor's a genius. I mean, so the last time he fought in the UFC, it was a lot different. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to be a big fanboy of his, what with his uh, open praise of Vladimir Putin and, you know, mild homophobia and also his whole public meltdown. That being said, he's still a genius in marketing himself and figuring out ways to make money that don't involve fighting. And that being said, he clearly put his name on a, a good product. So thumbs up to that. But basically, yeah, if you want a good whiskey, try Proper 12 by Conor McGregor. And also on Cinema at the Cinema, which is a web series that I, I'm i positive I've talked about or plugged on this podcast before. But went back and watched their most recent season from a few months ago. And dude, that show is so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, I find myself like, you know, something's funny when like, you watch it, you laugh. The next day, you think about it, and then you start like legit, just like belly laughing to yourself. Yep. Like that's can't give high enough praise to on cinema at the cinema. So if you ever get bored, uh, if you've never watched it, you do need to start from the beginning because there's so many things you'll be lost on. But uh, get a bottle of proper twelve and spend the afternoon catching up on on cinema. This episode sponsored by Conor McGregor <laughs> and on cinema at the cinema. <laughs> um, I have, I have. Two plugs as well. One is uh, very appropriate for uh, this episode because basically when I had, there were a bunch of people tweeting at us uh, after we posted the poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of support for The Mummy, unsurprising, because <laughs> it won. And then there were... I'm actually surprised it was so close. Really? Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm not surprised. To me, like once I saw where it was shaping, I was like, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, definitely. I knew those two were the most popular, mm-hmm. uh, and then I I was not surprised at all that Wolf was last place. It's like, <laughs> does anybody even know that movie? Uh, and then saw, I mean, you know, 
maybe 10 years ago yeah. <laughs> that would have been a popular choice uh but once again you know it shows that the, the first saw is really not that bad it's just all the movies that came after it were fucking horrible but you know it, it diluted the brand jesus yeah. <laughs> putting it mildly yeah. uh but anyway uh one of the the people that tweeted at us uh was uh this guy and oh my god i don't know his name now i didn't write it down and i did listen to the episode but basically he has a podcast it's called wang talk radio uh and you know i'll put the link on the on the web page cool. it's w-e-n-g-h-t-a-l-k wang talk radio and so he was telling me that uh he you know it's a podcast where basically he has discussions with people about movie related stuff mostly and uh they did an episode where they they debated you know what was better the mummy brandon fraser's the mummy or van helsing you know which directed by the same guy written I by think the same I guy saw that thread yeah that you guys were talking yeah about yeah, yeah. Uh, so i listened to it they they get into it they go in depth as far as you know both movies and i mean personally i think the mummy you've seen van helsing right yeah yeah you know, that tone that Van Helsing has, at least from what I remember, because I've only seen it twi- uh, once, uh, Van Helsing also feels a little bit joyless, kind of yeah. like gray. That is the tone of the new mummy. Okay. You know, so so maybe what's also, directed Kate by Stephen Sondheim. Kate is no Rachel Weisz. She is no Rachel Weisz. I mean, this is going for something else, yeah. you know, but but yeah. Uh, but they, they kind of like, you know, he was arguing for Van Helsing and somebody else was arguing for the mummy and they go back and forth, they break it down, you know, who has the best... Uh, hero, the best female sidekick, you know, the best male sidekick, best villain. It's it's a lot of fun, especially if you've seen the movies, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a good uh, a good listen. So if you like the Mummy, if you like this episode, if you haven't had enough of the Mummy, if you're curious to see how the Mummy stacks against Van Helsing, the uh, perfect companion. Yes, just listen to it, uh, and and tell them we sent you. Uh, <laughs> Now, the other thing is, I went to the movies last night. Uh-huh. Uh, I was just going to plug Wayne Talk Radio. And then last night, I watched this movie. Uh, the, does the name Dan Fogelman uh, ring any bells, Alex? Sounds very familiar. Yeah. Uh, so Dan Fogelman is is someone who we've uh, just taken to task several times on this podcast. He's the guy that wrote Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, yeah. Fuck him. Except that <laughs> I found myself... Not fuck him. He might be a, a wonderful... <laughs> fuck that movie. Wonderful person. But yes, fuck that movie. Okay. Well, uh, last night I found myself loving the hell out of a movie written and directed by Dan Fogelman. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's also a movie that's getting savaged by the critics. I want to say it's like 11% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Is it Collateral Beauty? No, but there was a, a comparison. I was reading like random quotes, and there, somebody was comparing it to it. Um, it's it's called Life Itself. Uh, has nothing to do with Roger Ebert. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. There's Who's a documentary. In this? I think I've seen an ad on like Amazon for it. Uh, Oscar Isaac. Yes. You know, Lewin Davis yes. is there. Uh, what's the name of a? Uh, oh man, you know, and her when Joaquin Phoenix goes on a date that goes terrible. Do you remember like uh, what that actress? She was in Cowboys and Aliens. She was in Vinyl, the the short-lived HBO show. Uh, but anyway, she's in Katie it. Katie Holmes? <laughs> no. That was Dawson's Vinyl. Oh, okay. Um, uh, who else is in it? It's, it's, it's solid cast. Antonio Banderas, 
fucking amazing yes, there was that like, movie. Th- this was months ago, but I know what you're talking about because it looked so fucking random. There was like an ad, like the banner on fucking YouTube or Amazon was for this movie. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen a trailer for it. I didn't know anything. I'd seen the poster uh, at the theater, but. Uh, uh, this guy, you know, Dan Fogelman, he's also the creator of This Is Us, which is a TV show that I don't watch, but I know it's pretty popular. Yeah, it's a big one. And uh, and Kelly is a big fan, my wife. So she wanted to go to the movies. I was like, well, you know, there's a new movie by the guy that created This Is Us. I'll, you know, take the bullet. I'll buy the bullet. I'll, I probably won't like it because I don't care much for Crazy Stupid Love, but, you know, we can go watch it. Mm-hmm. And so we went, and it was great. And I understand way where some of the hatred is coming from you know i think it's an overreaction first off i mean the people that are like treating it like it's the worst movie to come out this year i just come on watch more movies because there's (laughs) been a lot worse but it is a very earnest movie it's almost like the ending of crazy stupid love which we hate right that speech that steve crowd makes okay but imagine if that was the whole movie and it was pitched at that level from the beginning so it doesn't feel out of place. You know, if that level of earnestness was from the beginning. Because the problem with Crazy Stupid Love... That sounds Love, horrible. It, dude, it, and I, I really want us to do the movie. We, we probably do it. It's 11%, so it fits with our yeah. mission statement. But uh, there is... I, I think a problem I have with Crazy Stupid Love is that for most of its running time, the movie is not like that, you know? And then at the end, it just goes like really saccharine and really like this is the meaning of life and this is love and whatever. Yeah. Now, this movie... It's pitched at that level from the beginning, but it also, I think, it has like a very clever approach to the storytelling. So from the very opening, it's telling you uh, that it's going to be a little crazy with the way it tells you its story. Uh, it opens with uh, Oscar Isaac. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, man. You're just going to have to trust me that it's Thanks. it's crazy. <laughs> well, I'm going to make you watch this movie. Okay. So uh, regardless of what critics say, regardless of, you know, oh, you know, this would be great for the podcast or whatever, I had a blast at the movies when I was not expecting to have a blast, which is, you know, one of the best experiences. Exactly. I'm there thinking, well, I'm doing this for Kelly, you know. She she she's usually, you know, too tired to go to the movies when she comes home from work, you know, in the uh middle of the week. But it's like, oh she really wanted to go and we found a movie that she she would want, you know. There are times where I drag her to watch stuff that I want to watch mostly. So it's like I'll I'll do it for her. <laughs> And I end up loving it. And she she loved it too. So, uh, I mean. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah, I'm really curious to see. It, it'll be a really interesting conversation <laughs> if you hate it. Uh, and uh, and if you do love it, then it will also be uh, maybe not as interesting, but definitely pleasant. Yeah, the table you've set does not sound appetizing to me. Um, well, maybe now that I've set your expectations really low. <laughs> that, that doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that's how I went in. I had my expectations set, my expectations set at like super low. Uh, it's a good cast too. Like I mean, Oscar Isaac. Oh know? yeah, he's uh, the man. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really good. And Ed Benning is there for for a while. Why not? Uh, and you know, I told you Banderas kills it. There's a bunch of people I didn't know, but they they do great. So Excellent. that is that is. I my plug is life itself. I would say try to disconnect yourself from whatever you've read online. It's okay if you hate it, but I would say, you know, just hate it on its own terms, not just to jump on the bandwagon. Uh, reading a lot of the stuff online, it kind of gave me the feeling that people were just going in, you know, they're like, oh, they said that this movie sucks. I can't wait to see how it sucks. And then, you know, they just nitpick it. They were going on Contrarian's Corner, basically. <laughs> 
they were all in. All right, those were our plugs, and that was The Mummy. Again, I do appreciate and thank you all for voting in our poll. Many more to come in the future, or at least one more, hopefully many. Uh, that's going to do it for us on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time and bring that fucking Kids Are All Right movie down a few pegs, where it belongs. That summer of 1999 That when you blew my mind And told me